0: As you find your seats, grab your Bibles, flip open to Ephesians chapter 3, as we look at an incredible, incredible prayer that Paul has given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a prayer for a church in Ephesus, a prayer for us this morning. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, have to be the greatest singer-songwriters of at least the rock era, if not more. I mean, who doesn't love that little band out of Liverpool with the name The Beatles? And one of the songs that they sang and went to number one and became popular, they told us, saying to the world, that all you need is love. Love is all you need. Apparently, it wasn't true for the Beatles. Love wasn't all they needed to stick together. They said, "Let it be." We're going to break up and go on our own. Then, interestingly, as they both pursued Lennon and McCartney pursued solo careers, it did pretty well. Are you kidding me? Did really well. It was Lennon who publicly criticized McCartney for his candy-coated songs, his sugary songs that he was writing and singing. He called them silly love songs. Come on, McCartney, can't you give us more than something like a silly little love song? So what did McCartney do? He wrote back a song. He says, some people want to fill the world with silly love songs. Well, what's wrong with that? Because here I go again. Come on, sing it. With I love you. All right, he sang another silly love song that you knew. Why is it? Because the truth is that we love love songs. Love of stories. Okay, guys, admit it. Somewhere inside, you love chick flicks. You do. You really do. You say to your girlfriend, your spouse, okay, we'll go to the chick flick. But deep down, yeah. I love these. Why? Why? Why do we sing silly love songs? Why do we love love stories? Romeo and Juliet. Why do we find ourselves in chick flicks? Here's why. Because God is love. And God has written the greatest love story ever. And He has made you in His image to be receivers of love songs and love stories. He has created you and me to love Him. And to long for Him, because He is a God of love. And He, in redemptive history, has written the greatest love song, the greatest love story ever. And He wants you and me to whistle as we work, and as we play, and as we rest, His love song. He wants our lives to be filled with His love, and His song, and His reality. That everything we do is compelled by His love. Everything we do is a reflection of His love. That we truly can sing in the midst of death, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of pain. God has given us the ability to sing. And it's not a silly love song. It's His love story. And it's the greatest story ever told. And there's nothing silly about it. Makes me think of Silly Songs with Larry. Aren't those great? Anybody loves Silly Songs with Larry? Those of you who aren't in the Feggetale fame, you don't have kids, you don't know what we're talking about right now, but just trust me, go and get yourself some Silly Song with Larry and that's really living right there. Um, the Apostle Paul was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He was a church planner and he loved his congregations. He started many of them. And he was an amazingly brilliant man. He was a scholar. He was well-educated. He came from the right family. He went to the right schools. He had all the right pedigree. But what Paul really wanted that the Holy Spirit would use in his ministry to massage into the life of the church, into the life of the individual believers, is the love of God. That was what he was consumed with. It truly was. He, he is the one that has given us such incredible theology, such incredible rich doctrine that we celebrate here at this church. But really, it's the love of God that this pastor prayed that his congregation would somehow have the power to get it. That somehow, in the midst of all of their brokenness, in the midst of all of their struggle, in the midst of all the strife that was around them, the one thing that He would literally bow His knee before the Father and cry out for is that He would say to the church, He would say to the Father, please let the church understand. Get a glimpse. Give them the ability, the power to somehow be able to put their arms around or start to put their arms around the love of God in Christ. Because this is a love that will change everything. And Paul prayed for them, and he prays for us, that we too will understand this love of God that changes everything. You see, it's the love of God in Christ, and here are the things we're going to look at this morning, you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline there. The love of God in Christ is even greater than knowledge. The love of God in Christ is that which brings us the greatest comfort. The love of God in Christ, it's that which convicts us in the way we live. And the love, of Christ, the love of God in Christ compels us. So let's read what some are saying is the pinnacle of Paul's writing. An amazing uh, uh, piece of God's Word. It's actually a prayer. We'll be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. We'll see that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, verse 15, He starts off both of his prayers. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he's kind of been interrupted by his thoughts. And now he comes back to this prayer. Let us be mindful that Paul wrote it for a specific group of people in a church called Ephesus. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it for us as well. And he wrote it for us to to know and to love him. This is God's holy word. It's, It's without error. It'll never lead us astray. Let's rejoice in God's love letter together this morning. So it's with this he writes. For this reason I bow my knee before my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Some people think that that's just the sign of the cross. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, And then we'll come back to this at the end. This incredible benediction. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And let's ask His blessing on the preaching of the Word. Pray with me, please. Father... Your word tells us that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. So, how in the world am I supposed to stand up here and to properly convey your love that surpasses my knowledge, that surpasses my ability? But Father, You and Your wisdom has chosen to use the foolishness of preaching and the foolishness of a broken vessel to communicate Your truth. So Father, I ask for Your glory and for the health of Your church and for our joy that You would come and God, that You would do that which only You could do. That You would touch my tongue. That you would make my words in a real supernatural way your words. The Father, that you'd give us ears to hear your Son's voice. You'd give us minds to understand your spirits moving and understand your word. The Father, that right now you would change our hearts, make them receptive, break away the stony, cold, sinful, unbelieving hearts that we have and give us new hearts of flesh. Father, may we walk out of here reminded of Your love and may our gate, may our walk in Christ be changed forever. Empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of Your love. Father, the things that are said today that are true and contain the good news of Your Son, use those things to make us more like Jesus. The things that I say that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, may they fall away and be forgotten. May you and you alone receive glory. May we receive joy. Because you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First thing we're going to look at is this mysterious love of God in Christ that surpasses knowledge. If you look at again at Ephesians 3.19, Paul is praying that we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit in our inner beings, that somehow we will be able to grasp this love that God has for us in Christ. And yet he says that this love surpasses even knowledge. This verse has become very important to me. Because it was at the end of February that my life would change forever. And the life that I knew would cease to exist and I would start living another life. Because at the end of February, Katie was told, my wife, that you have an irregular mass. And within two days, a doctor confirmed, yes, as many of you know, she has cancer. And what began was a life-in-death pursuit of knowledge, What in the world does this mean? What do we have? And how do we treat it? How do we cure it? What is the remedy? I have never thirsted in my life for knowledge as I had during those several weeks. I wanted to know what is the best diagnosis? Who are the best doctors? What is the best hospital? What is the best plan for healing? Katie deserved the best. And I wanted to try to do everything I humanly possibly could do to supply that for her. So knowledge became so important, so powerful. It became life-altering, literally affecting everything I did. Everything I saw, I wanted to know. And then God in His mercy and His love led me again to this passage. And I read that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. I do believe that Paul's primary point that he is making here in this epistle is that the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ, surpasses our ability to fully grasp. That's what he's primarily saying. We don't even have the intellectual capacity, the ability to fully understand how ridiculously God loves us and lavishes that love upon us. But I also know that Paul was writing to a church that was affected with Gnosticism. It was a a heretical belief, not in the salvation through Christ, but that there was a special knowledge... That you obtained this special knowledge, you were saved. So the Gnostics believed that pursuing knowledge was pursuing life. And Paul was railing against that, said the knowledge that you need to know is the knowledge of Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And what God reminded me in that moment was that his love for Katie, His love for me, was greater than all of the knowledge that I was desperately pursuing. And many of you have been in my shoes. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you too, even now, are journeying, trying to find knowledge. Knowledge to save your marriage. Knowledge to cure you or your loved one from cancer. Knowledge to be able to find a job to provide for your family. Knowledge to be able to get you into that right college. Knowledge to allow you to raise your children in a healthy way. And those are all good things. They're good things. But there's something that's greater. And it's the love of God and Christ. And I was pursuing so many avenues and sometimes He would literally stop us in our tracks and grab us by the face and turn our attention to Him and He would say, but I love you. I'm not a charismatic person and neither is Katie as far as the charismatic gifts go, but we in our spirit sense Katie being told by God, I am going to heal you. I Love you. And I tell you, that love melted away all else that I had pursued as far as knowledge. And again, I fell on my knees. I said, Thank you, God, for love that surpasses knowledge. I know that you will never leave me. I know that you will never leave her. I know that you will never forsake us. I know that you are a good God. I know that you're an all-powerful God. And I know that you love us and somehow this passed through nail pierced hands. And you love me. and You love her. and You love us. I know it's hard to rectify that. Cancer and a loving God. And more about that tonight. If you want to come, we're going to Spend the next couple of weeks looking at why do bad things happen to good people? Just assume I'm a good person. Big jump. But what really pierced my heart with this passage, this prayer, was God whispering in my ear. And he wants to whisper in many of yours today. That he loves you. Oh, He is crazy about you in Christ. He really, really loves you. And the greatest pursuit isn't knowledge. The greatest pursuit is the knowledge of His love for you. His relationship with you. To know that you are loved and you are forgiven and you are free. Does that resonate with anybody here? To know that He loves you so much and He would send His only Son to come and rescue you. Does that resonate? To know that all your sins have been nailed to the cross and you and I have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Does anybody get excited about that? That is the greatest love. A love that truly does set us free. Paul was writing to a church in Corinth who was all about knowledge. And they had a lot of gifts. And he, they pursued a, a lot of different things. And Paul wanted to remind them in 1 Corinthians 13, it's that love section that we're familiar with. You know, love is kind. Love is, is not boasting. But it's in that, it's in 1 Corinthians thirteen two. it says this, if you have knowledge if you have knowledge that you have the wisdom of the world and you have the ability to understand things and you yet have love that you are, are you ready for this? Nothing. That knowledge without love, according to God's Word, it puffs us up. It's useless. It's no good. As a matter of fact, it's actually dangerous. In Jesus' time, when He walked on the earth as God in flesh... He ran into the smartest religious people in the world and they were called Pharisees. They were amazing because they prayed the longest prayers. They were amazing because even their robes would have attached to them Scripture verses to remind them of God's Word. They would quote these scripture. These Pharisees, would memorize and be able to quote huge chunks of Scripture. They were the smartest, most knowledge-filled religious people of Jesus' day, and yet He had the hardest time with them. Of all of the Gospel accounts, it's the Pharisees that Jesus got in their face. It's the Pharisees that rubbed Him the wrong way. Why? Because their knowledge didn't lead them to love Jesus. Their knowledge didn't lead them to see Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And listen, if our knowledge of who God is, if our reading of God's Word, if our knowledge of this world does not cause us to fall more in love with Jesus, our knowledge is useless. It's a vapor. It doesn't make sense. It's nothing. I just heard that some teenager uh, solved a, a math equation that was like 300 years old or something I saw a picture of the equation and I got a headache, you know? And I thought, what in the world? I don't want to say thank you, God, for giving uh, young men and young women minds like that. It's amazing. But you can solve the greatest equations in the world, and yet if you are missing the love of Christ, it's nothing. Knowledge without love, it's useless. It puffs up. That's what they had. They had this knowledge of God and they thought they were somebody. Their whole whole ministry was look at me. Listen to my prayers. Let me just tell you what I know. It was not, let me fall humbly before my God because I am a sinner who desperately needs to be saved by grace. Knowledge without love is dangerous. Certainly, we're not saying that knowledge is not important because without knowledge of Christ, we're lost. But this is the barometer that we all need to look to. Is our knowledge leading us to a greater love of God in Christ? The more you know. In general revelation, what that means by the more you know just about this world and how it operates by God's grace. And the more you know through special revelation, His Spirit and His Word this word uh, uh, being illuminated by the Spirit in your mind, the more we know, the more we should love Him. The more we should be amazed. The more that we should see a sunrise and say, oh my goodness, what a God and Creator we have. The more that we should see the love of one another and say, what a Redeemer we have. The more we see our own sin and we say, thank you, Jesus. The more you know should lead you to more love. How is the love of God better than knowledge? It's a reminder that God will never leave us nor forsake us. It's a reminder that God is good and God is in control. It's a reminder of this. Listen, listen to this. God would love and demonstrate His love for sinners like us so much that while we were still sinners, while we were sinners, Christ would come and die for us. And listen, if the Father... For sinners like us would not spare his own son, but would freely give him up for us as a sacrifice. Will that Father not also give us all things we need in Christ Jesus? And the answers are resounding: yes. He loved us before time began. He loved us, he loves us now. And you ready for this? He will never, ever, ever stop loving us. That's good news. That's good news, and that surpasses any knowledge we could ever have apart from Him. The love of God truly is beyond our grasp of fully knowing. We'll never, ever know it. Even when we are with Him in the new heavens and new earth, we will still, because we're not God, we will become like the fullness of God, the fullness of what He has for us, it says in that prayer. But we will never fully know that we, the love of Christ. But here, listen, this morning, for each and every one of you, each and every one of you, this morning, you can fully know that you are loved. You'll never know the full totality of it, but each and every one of us today through Christ can fully know I am loved. Do you know it? I am loved by the Father. I am loved by the Son. I've been set free by the Spirit. Do you know it? Do you know it? Man, there's no... Greater knowledge than the love of Christ. Then this mysterious love, that's the first thing, this mysterious love that comforts. Second Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, Paul continues to write to the church at Corinth about this love of Christ and the God of all love and comfort. In Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we'll be comfortable. No, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with a comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. The greatest earthly comfort comes from those who have been there and experienced what you're going through. I saw Scott Alexander come in this morning. I don't see him anymore. Where's Scott? You're on the wrong side. <laughs> he came in over there. You made Beth, you, you made your wife, uh, Beverly, come all the way over here? Find a seat over there. <laughs> Our brother's been enduring a long time, a battle of cancer. He's lost his leg. Tumors still come. he battles, he battles. He battles. He loves Jesus more today than he ever has. And I tell you what, I get an email from him. that says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I pray you experience, too, the love of Christ. And I tell you, from one who's been there, I know for sure what that means. Thank you, brother. Thank you. There's many other in this congregation that I could look to that, I, that you call me because we've been there together. You call me and say, hey, how you doing? I love you. I'm praying for you. And I tell you, for those who have walked this ridiculous fraternity called cancer, and again, our walk compared to some other of y'all's walk is, is really a skip through the park. But when someone's been there, and they say to you, I'm sorry, but I'm proof that you can make it through. I'm proof that you can make it through. I tell you what, that is amazing. And a mysterious love that comforts through those of us who have gone through trials, and now God uses us to comfort others. But listen, Christianity is so much more splendid than that. Because here's what Christianity boils down to it's our God in Christ. Listen, it's Jesus, the God in flesh, who can come and look into our eyes, and here's what he can say to us This is his Jesus. I have been there. I've been there, and I'm sorry. And and, and look at me. Look at my nail-pierced hands. I am proof that you can make it through. Because I am the resurrection. I am the life. And anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they shall live. We have a God who's a high priest who has been tempted in every way like us, who sympathizes with us, who knows our weakness and doesn't despise us because of it, who knows our weakness and brokenness, and He Himself became the weakest and the most broken on the cross. He suffered deeply and greatly so that He can comfort us, so the Father can show the magnitude of love for us. The love of Christ comforts Because He lives, we live. Because He lives, our loved ones in Christ live. Because He lives, we know the resurrected hope of Christ. Bad things are going to happen, but bad things don't win. Jesus wins. The love of Christ that comforts. What mysterious love is that? This mysterious love that convicts. John 14, 15 says, he, Jesus talking to His disciples says this. Amazing. He says this to them. Hey, if you guys love me, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey me. You see, listen, church, we got this backwards. We've missed this for years and years and years and years. We have to get this. Love of Christ. Love leads to obeying. Love Truly leads to obeying. But listen to this. Obeying never leads to love. Love leads to obeying. If you really love Christ, you will delight in His Word. You will delight in His will. You will delight to surrender your life to the One who surrendered His life for you. But obeying Him and trying to earn His love, you will never get it. It's an incredible story of Luke 15. Luke 15 is a story of the lost sons, the prodigal son. It's more familiarly called... It was told to Pharisees. It was told to those in a crowd that were puffed up and had knowledge but without love. And the story is told of an older brother and a younger brother. And I want to focus on the older brother for a minute. The older brother was the obedient brother. The older brother was the brother who went to church all the time. The older brother is the kid that never got in trouble. The older brother was the one who just did everything right. The older brother was the one who always slavishly obeyed his father. Matter of fact, he says, I have been slaving for you all All these years, Dad, and yet you've never thrown a party for me. Why? He had a distant relationship with his father. He didn't really love his father. As a matter of fact, when his father finally threw an incredible party, the older brother said, I'm not going in. Because I truly don't love the father. I've obeyed him like a slave, and now the father owes me. Now the father is indebted to me. Now I have the Father because I have performed and now He must perform. And listen, obeying never leads to loving. Loving leads to obeying. That's why Martin Luther would tell his church this radical saying, it's so beautiful. He says, love God and do whatever you want to do. Isn't that awesome? Love God and do whatever you want to do. Do you hear that? It's so true. Why? Because if you love me you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll realize there's life in my word. If you love me, you'll realize there's life in my commandments. If you love me, you'll realize that the greatest love you can experience is obeying me. You're going to find yourself fully when you die for me and live for me. That's when the lights go on. That's when you really experience love. Orangewood, may you and I lean into the reality that love leads to obedience. And may we long for the love of Christ. And may we love him so much and then do whatever we want to do. Because if we do, we are going to honor him and obey him. Not only do we have a love that comforts, a love that convicts, we also have a love that compels. Let me ask you, do you love God? Your actions will show it. Your checkbook will show it. Your daytimer will show it. Do you love God? If you love me, you'll obey me. And I want you to know my spirit is willing and my flesh is weak. Just this morning in my devotional chair, I'm saying, God, why can't, why can't, why am I back here to start again? Why aren't I better? I really love you. What I'm going to ask for is, I'm going to ask that you would just, please just give me a greater love for you. That's what I'm going to ask for. I, I started humming that ridiculous song, Just a closer walk with thee. You guys know that song? You know, those of you who are probably 50 or older know that song. It's It's a scary old gospel song, but That was my prayer. I just want a closer walk with Jesus. You know how hard the flesh is? That in 20 minutes after my sermon, I'm going to forget it. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have just a great day off where I hope I remember him. (laughs) But I love the fact that he never stops loving me. And I love the fact that he always calls me home. I love the fact that he is the father in that prodigal story that runs to the prodigal son and says, I still love you and I'm not stopping. I said, I know many of you love him deeply and I love seeing him in your life and I'm so proud of the way you live your life for him. Many of you just love him deeply. And the call for those who don't is to love him today because he first loved you. It's a life-changing love. But for all of us, we have to realize that, man, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we continually need to go back and say, remind me again of that silly love song that's not silly at all. The love that compels, 2 Corinthians 5.14 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It, It says this, may the love of Christ compel you. Or your translation may say, may the love of Christ constrain you. In my life, Jerry Bridges has been a very big part of my life and my discipleship process, Be trying to become more like Christ. Jerry Bridges has written several books that have meant a lot to me. The first one was The Pursuit of Holiness. Anybody ever read it? The Pursuit of Holiness is, is, is kind of a book, uh, like uh, anybody who wants to really get serious about following God and becoming more like his son. It's like, it's like a workout program. It's like, man, if you want to be holy, you better pursue it. And you better be all about your devotions and you better all about you know living your life in a pleasing way to God. It's a great book and it meant a lot to me. And then he writes the next book, The Practice of Godliness. And I couldn't wait to get it and I gobbled it up because I want to practice godliness in my life. I want to pursue holiness in my life. And then all of a sudden, Jerry Bridges has a grace awakening. And he realizes that God, listen to this, and he realizes that God, listen to this, and he realizes that God cares as much of why you do what you do as what you do. And if you're not doing it for Jesus out of love and response to His love, then you and I are Pharisees. And it becomes about duty. And he wrote a book called Transforming Grace. And he says, I was transformed by the reality that it's not about me dancing for God so He loves me. It's not about my pursuit of holiness. It's about God's pursuit of me and making me holy. It's about unmerited grace that has set me free and transformed my life. And that compels us. Orangewood, God cares as much about why we do what we do in Eatonville in Mexico City and in Maitland in Orlando. He cares as much why we do what we do at Orangewood Christian School. He cares as much why we do what we do at the workplace as what we do. And He wants the love of Christ to compel us to live for Him. He wants the love of Christ to constrain us To live our lives. It's like Joseph in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife hitting on him and he's far from home. And she's saying, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And he says unbelievable words. How could I do this and sin against God? Because the love of Christ, the love of God constrains. May it constrain us, Orangewood. Hey that love of God that makes the love of the world so pale isn 't it pathetic the love that we pursue the love and maybe a status or a symbol, the love of the world in so many wrong ways? The love of Christ, we need to respond not out of duty but out of love. They were right, they were right. God was God by his Grace gave McCartney and Lennon truth. All you need is love. And God's word said, God is love. His love is truly all we need. This swine flu thing has me thinking a little bit about how the world operates Especially when it comes to uh, vaccinations, inoculations. He's trying to, you know, some pandemic hits the world. Can you imagine a pandemic hitting the world? I just started thinking, I wonder who would be the first ones to get the cure. And I thought, you know, the first ones who get the cure? It's probably us. It's probably rich Americans. It's probably those who can afford it. I'm telling you, <laughs> You know, one of these things about cancer, you realize that you get a prescription for drugs and the insurance company says you can't have that many. I'll pay for them. No, you can, we'll only give you 12. Back on point. Who would get the medicine? Those who really need it? And what would it be like if, let's say, there was a world pandemic And God graciously gave us, each and every member and regular visitor and friend of Orangewood, a shot. And we knew that through that shot, we would be cured. And what would it be like if we just said, thank God, thank you for giving us this cure. Thank you for, we are set free. We are now going to just sit here and just celebrate the fact that we are safe. And we're going to celebrate the fact right here, Uh, Because there's sick people out there, and we are just going to just celebrate the fact that we have been uh, inoculated, that we have actually received the vaccination. We're just going to sit here. And what do you think God would do? His heart would break. He said, are you kidding me? I have given you the cure. Go out there and now tell others about the cure in Christ. Go out there and now be compelled by my love to spend all you have to make sure others are cured. Isn't that our call? I mean, isn't there a call that we have been so set free by the love of Christ in church if we just sit here and take it and say it's all for us, all wonderful, and we don't tell a dying world about the fact that there is a cure for sin and His name is Jesus? Heaven help us. May the love of Christ compel us. May His dying image compel us to go and say, no, we have the cure. We've been set free. We must go. Because we are compelled. And the greatest love story ever told is Jesus. And it surpasses everything. Let us pray. Father, we love silly love songs. Because you are a loving God. They would love us so much. that Jesus would set us free. That he would be our cure from sin and death and misery through his own death and misery and becoming our sin. Father, we've been set free. May the love of Christ compel us to tell others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.